Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. There's massive physiological changes that are happening through the body, of course, when we are pregnant and then we deliver a baby. But in specific terms of what's happening to the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments, everything is basically stretching. And what we know about tendons and ligaments is that they don't recoil or come back once they're stretched. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Dr. Kelsey Dobish. She is a chiropractor, adjunct professor, and certified athletic trainer located in Mitchell, South Dakota. We're going to talk today about a really fun topic, pelvic floor rehab, which is something she really started diving into after the birth of her second child. We'll talk about why that is. So she started reading and researching it after a very traumatic birth with her first child, but really got into it in her second child. So in her practice, it's a combination of lots of ages, but she really help, loves helping moms and women improve their health after kids, life, etc. And this is such a huge... I actually have been seeing so much. I don't know if it's what you put out in the world, but I've been seeing so much talk about this on social media lately of how we just people need more community. And there's there's celebrities coming out and saying this, like there's not enough community for women post childbirth. And I can only imagine what it was like 20, 30 years ago. So such a great topic. So glad to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Yes. Thank you for having me, Krista. Yeah, this is exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I've known Kelsey for a long time. So I knew that she was doing classes on pelvic floor rehab. And this is just something that doesn't get discussed enough. And so why doesn't Absolutely. it get discussed enough? Because people don't want to talk about this. So let's talk about, first of all, what are we even saying? And when we're talking about like pelvic floor therapy and pelvic floor rehab, what are we even talking about? What does that look like? Who is that okay. For? Yes. So when we talk about pelvic floor rehabilitation, we're talking about the entire core to be totally honest, but there's a stigma that we're just talking about the muscles that perform a Kegel. And that would be totally incorrect. It's outdated information, but it is still being spoken through the mouths of healthcare providers just because they haven't learned a new way to describe this. And so when we talk about the entire core, the top, you have to think of it like a cylinder. So the top part of that cylinder is the diaphragm. The bottom part is the pelvic floor muscles. 
and then all the way around the core. There's a lot of muscles that are going to wrap around the core, but specifically, we're going to talk about the transverse abdominis muscle and the role that that plays in conditions like diastasis recti, low back pain in the postpartum world, and reduced core strength in the postpartum world as well. Okay. So we're talking postpartum and I want to talk about what happens to a woman kind of like to her body and why we need to do something special. But is there any other populations that are affected by this area that need pelvic floor therapy? Or one of my questions is I'm getting to a point here. I have a lot of clients that as they age, they have to get up and urinate a lot more in the night. And there can be many reasons for that. But is that also possibly related to pelvic floor strength? Absolutely. And we do see that a lot in like gentlemen that have had a surgery on the prostate. Mm -hmm. So those tissues have been cut and And they will have similar problems to postpartum women. It's just a different phase in their life and for different reasons. But it is not totally limited to postpartum women. I have seen women where they have not had physically birthed a child, but yet they are having pelvic floor dysfunction symptoms that ends up being an SI joint that is a chronic issue. So A lot of times we think pelvic floor, we think, oh, this is only postpartum, and that's just not entirely true. That's just the bulk of where we see those issues. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And would it be correct to say, like, is this a problem that can come and go? Because let's say someone works to improve this area, and then can it just relapse because we stop working on improving it? Because that's how muscles work. If you don't use them, they have, you know, they don't stay strong. Yes. So one of the things that's really important about this particular rehab program is that we create good habits. So whether we have good habits with nutrition or with just exercise in general, we have to make sure we're doing them intentionally. And so part of the program that I created is intentional work. So that way, specifically with the breathing that we'll talk about, but then we can transition that type of breathing into our daily life of squats and lunges and picking up our kids and carrying our groceries or time spent in a, you know, exercise facility. Mm -hmm. So that is the biggest thing is like, if we can create the proper habits, then we don't even have to think about it because it just becomes what you do Mm -hmm. versus we just go through the motions. That's when we fall back into well, we've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. And I've always done it, you know, and so intention is probably the best word I would use to describe that, like intentionally creating good habits. Yeah, I love that. And you gave so many great examples. I was getting a massage yesterday and feeling she was like, I had slept in a plane twice this month. And so she was kind of rubbing on sides of my neck. And we were just talking about where this comes from. And she said, Oh, you know, sometimes driving or turning your head a lot. And I just think about those being habits. And I think chiropractors really cringe when people talk on the phone and like crank their head, right? So like you can do things. Oh, sure. Yeah, (laughs) you can do you can do things to correct things. But if your habits are not in line, like to stay alive, Mind, then it doesn't really matter. Yes. The other thing that I think about is like when I changed my shoes. So I took away heels and like, oh, now I have no lower back pain, which I used to think was stemmed from postpartum. So I just think like putting on your shoes every day is a habit. So if you have like a structural thing that's affecting this, then it makes it challenging. Anyway, just throwing those yes. in there. Okay, so let's go backwards a little bit. We don't like to talk about this because it's thought to be kind of in the nether world of our structure. But let's talk about why is this such a big problem when a woman has a baby? So one of the things that happens is there's massive physiological changes that are happening through the body, of course, when we are pregnant and then we deliver a baby. But in specific terms of what's happening to the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments, everything is basically stretching. And what we know about tendons and ligaments is that they don't recoil or come back once they're stretched. So 
this becomes an issue, especially in the pelvis. So postpartum world women, we see tons of pelvis pain, whether it's an SI joint pain or pubic symphysis pain or pelvic floor dysfunction. And then so when the muscles are stretched during a pregnancy, then they have to recoil. And this creates a lack of tension. And so we need muscles to have tension because they have to supply us with movement. That's what they do. So one of the reasons that this becomes such a problem is because now we have this essentially an unstable structure and we're sending her home to pick up baby in car seat only, you know, for those first six weeks. And then at the six week mark, we're, they're told, oh, hey, yeah, you could go run half a marathon. You know, you can go do that CrossFit exercise or whatever. And so we're taking an unstable structure and we're putting them into activity that's really going to hurt them. Mm. And that is a big problem. I see a lot of that in my office mm-hmm. often. Yeah. So what we'd like to see is that this becomes part of postnatal care, right? Because absolutely, we're, we're yes. not like no one's told that, oh, by the way, like you're going to be stretched out when you get done. I mean, you kind of thought that, but like right. good luck getting everything back together. It's a real yes. good time. <laughs> and by the way, exactly. if, if you if you go ahead and have another baby right away, now we can go ahead. So if you have a baby kind of quickly afterwards, because that happens all the time, right? How does that like yes, further, in, how does that further kind of insult those muscles or does it not really matter? Or do you find like that? That's an increased risk for diastasis recti. And what is diastasis recti as well? That is an increased risk for diastasis recti. I think when you have two children back to back, even if it's in within the same year, I've seen that a few times, but that is increased risk for really any type of injury. I mean, even like a lumbar disc herniation, just because they're so unstable back to back. But so diastasis recti is a condition. You typically see this with pregnancy. It's not always associated with pregnancy, but the six pack muscles on the front side of your abdomen, the rectus abdominis muscles, So these are going to stretch and they're going to create a gap between the left and the right sides. And this is normal. This will happen to every single pregnant woman. And once they deliver baby, doesn't matter how they deliver, after pregnancy or after the baby's born, they'll still have that gap. So the thought has always been the gap will heal itself and you'll be fine. And at six week mark, you're good to go. But the more and more that I've worked with women is this is not closing on its own. So what happens is you still have this gap in between that muscle on your stomach and it can present like a ridge, like if they were sitting on the, laying on the floor, like almost like a sit-up position and they'll see a bulging ridge on the front side of their abdomen. That's diastasis recti. You can see it as a gap actually. And that is on like very lean females. You'll see that gap and it's kind of, it can be a little bit larger around that belly button area too. But the biggest thing is that when I test for diastasis recti, I'm testing in three separate areas of the abdomen because you can have it anywhere. And when you don't have that front part of that cylinder sealed, it's basically an energy leak constantly. And so then it's putting more stress on structure than the posterior part, which would be your pelvis, your SI joints, even your inferior joints, like your pubic symphysis, things like that. But things that will make diastasis worse are crunches sit-ups and planks. Mm. So many postpartum women start doing planks and a planks are a wonderful exercise. I recommend them all the time. But if you have this, you're essentially using gravity to widen the gap on the front side of your abdomen. And so we're making the problem worse. And without intentional work to fix diastasis, it will not go away. 
people are trying to actually think, because usually when we think of diastasis recti, sometimes we're thinking about like what I would normally think just stereotypically is like, oh, like my stomach like hangs out in a different way. Like I feel like I don't, I can't pull it together. But at the same time, that's not really true. You just described in different shaped women, it presents a little differently. And so actually yes. I've forgotten about this, but a long time ago, I was with someone who had gone to one of your workshops and we were just chatting about pelvic floor because I mean, that's a great thing to do. And, uh, <laughs> and she said, yeah, so put your fingers right here and like lay down. So I want you to tell us about how a woman can look to kind of test and feel if, if sure. possible, okay. if she's got a little because because I never thought about this, but we felt this on me and it was like substantial. It was terrible. And I'm like, oh, never thought this is an issue. So let's talk about how people can kind of yes. self figure this out a little bit. So what you'll do is you're going to lay on your back, your feet are going to be flat on the floor, it's better to do this on the floor versus a table. So if you're at home doing that, this is how I would recommend. So your index finger and your middle finger, you are going to put that right below your diaphragm. And you're going to put it so they're side by side. And so what you'll do then is you're going to stick your fingers there and you're going to look up at your knees. So your head and your shoulders will come off of the ground. If you feel a gap there, so then what you need to do is add a third finger. And so ideally what we're looking for here is that you feel a ridge of muscle on the left and the right side of those two fingers, that index and middle finger together. If you can't feel it with two fingers, you add the third finger. If you add the third finger and the ridge, then you feel the ridge, you have diastasis. So the actual diagnosis of this is two and a half fingers width. But to me, that's crazy. How do we diagnose <laughs> half a finger? So if you have, if you have to do three and you feel three, you have it. Mm -hmm. Two is normal. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to repeat that just above the belly button. And then you'll repeat that just below the belly button. The key though, is that every time you do this, you need to go back to the ground and then pick your shoulders and your head up. It will be tender when you're poking in that area. So if you're like, oh my gosh, this really hurts. That's normal. This isn't a normal area that we palpate anyway. So typically what I see is on the lowest part. So just below your belly button and just above your belly button are the most common areas that are open or mm -hmm. have that gap or that ridge. I bet the, that changes so, the intervention, right? Where yes. It, well, it, the, so we have one specific exercise that's going to help bring all this together. But for many women that talk about like this pooch, this pooch is there, or they still feel like they look three to four months pregnant and they're not pregnant anymore. And they've had this look, I put looks in air quotes for months or for years. That's a good sign that there's a diastasis recti present. And it's just been undiagnosed. Mm. So in itself, diastasis recti doesn't hurt unless you have a hernia of some sort within that area, especially like around the belly button area. But otherwise, it doesn't hurt. So we never think to look there to find the solution to like the reoccurring SI joint pain or bladder issues when they try to go for a jog or something of that nature. Can this just hang out so, here for like 20 years? Like could someone well oh, past yes. their, yeah, well past their baby years, like just realize like, oh, oh I yes. have this problem. Okay. That makes sense. It was about four months ago, this patient of mine, and she is in her seventies and a wonderful woman. And she was laying on her back on the table and she lifted her head up to tell me something. I was across the room and I turned around and I saw the ridge oh. on the front side of her abdomen. And I said, Oh my gosh, we need to check you for this. And we checked her and the craziest thing, this woman was a four finger gap. Mm. So that is really, really rare. I felt that twice. And this was one of that times a four finger gap from top to bottom. Mm. Her youngest child is 52. 
Mm. And so this can hang out there. And one of her main complaints and the reason she comes into my office is because SI joint pain, lower back tension. She just has such a tight lower back. So she'll say things like, oh, it's just getting tight again and things of that nature. So that's where it's just like, it can just be there. Mm-hmm. And that's when I said like intentional work is how you have to fix this. Mm-hmm. You can't crunch your way or plank your way out of this. You have to like do the work to reap the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, actually, can you define SI joint for us? Oh, sure. Sacroiliac joint. So within the pelvis, you have the right and the left side and they meet at the sacrum, which would be the very bottom of your spine. So SI joint pain, like have you ever seen the dimples on someone's the mm-hmm. lowest part of their back? That mm-hmm. is the SI joint. Mm-hmm. on both sides. Okay. So it's a very stable structure. It doesn't have a lot of movement, but movement that is happens there is very important there. Mm-hmm. So that is what that is. All right. So I'm going to recap the diastasis recti talk just a little bit as we kind of hop yep. back and forth here. So it's probably, it's hanging out on a lot of people. <laughs> it's basically the, uh, yeah. the core muscles not coming back together properly. And you can look at that by, there was three points. And I think I want to get the first point correct. So it's under the diaphragm, but if you were feeling kind of by the bra line, so is it right? Would you consider it right below the bra line essentially? Yes. So okay. there should be kind of like a little divot there in the abdomen below the bra line, below the rib cage, right where that rib cage makes a V. Mm-hmm. That's where you're testing. Yep. And then right above your belly button and right below your belly button. And the fingers point yep. up and down, right? Because they're like going horizontal across the yes. abdomen. Okay. Got it. Yep. So, and they should be side by side. Mm-hmm. And you should be laying on your back, feet up. So like bent bent knees, right? Feet of, yep. uh, flat yep. on the ground. And then you're lifting your head up on every point and looking for it to be above two fingers. And then there's a problem. Then you need to then you got to do some work to try to pull that back together. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So when we're talking about like, what is all under the pelvic floor therapy umbrella, would you call diastasis recti things for that? Like what you're doing for that, the interventions for that? Would you call that pelvic floor therapy or something different? Yes, I would. I would call that. I would include that in it. I know there are many programs that do not, and they're missing a big chunk to it. So you can have the strongest muscles in the pelvic floor. You know, if you just wanted to like specifically target those muscles, but it doesn't matter if the rest of the cylinder doesn't work because the cylinder is a functional unit. Mm-hmm. So if you've got energy leak happening somewhere, the whole thing isn't going to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I love this. So pelvic floor therapy, what else fits under pelvic floor therapy? So we normally think about Kegels, which is a really short sighted thing. And Kegels, what are Kegels? Let's go over that. Just in case there's someone listening who is sure. unfamiliar, what, what muscles are we talking about with that? So specifically with Kegels, we're talking about, oh, there's so many in the pelvic floor that it's not even really worth it to name them. But we're talking about deep muscles that are going to contract the pelvic floor, which means they're going to shorten it. So Anytime you perform a Kegel, you are shortening those muscles. The problem that happens with constant Kegeling is that you're creating shortened, tightened muscles. And short, tight muscles aren't functional. So many OBGYNs will tell you like, well, you can just Kegel your way out of this. That's just not true anymore. And we've proven that with many pieces of literature and evidence-based practices to the point where we have to start looking at the whole entire body as a functional unit. And when we're talking about the core, just focusing on the bottom part of that cylinder is not going to make it better. Okay. So a good analogy would be like an athlete that injures their knee. We're never looking to rehabilitate the knee. We're always looking at the hip and upwards from there and the glutes and that kind of thing. So we have to have a wide lens to look at these issues and the Kegels 
the ideology of the Kegels is a narrow lens, which is that's what we want to get away from. Mm -hmm. So what I believe she's saying is if you're postpartum or whatever, and you're peeing your pants when you're doing jumping jacks, it's not just about mm -hmm. Kegels. <laughs> Totally. I mean, because that's, that's the pain point here. It's through like, and through. I realized things were not awesome when I got on the trampoline with my children and mm -hmm. things were just not all together the way we wanted them to be. <laughs> so, that's right. So we've talked, <laughs> exactly I mean, right. so what you're doing with diastasis recti and depending on that area is different, but if someone's got pelvic floor, like what else does this look like for them? So maybe we're peeing our pants a little bit. Maybe more than sure. that. What are some other symptoms you'd see if, like, the pelvic floor does it, does it, like, let's talk about a spectrum. So, a little bit of a problem, big problem. What are some of the okay. symptoms you see? Yep. So, a little bit of a problem could be, like, a sneeze, a hard laugh, and you get a dribble. And for some women, they don't have any incontinence. So, for some, it's like they have pain after every single bowel movement within their pelvic floor. So, that's also a key sign. A bigger problem would be every time they jog, they completely lose their bladder control. So they have to wear a pad or a diaper of some sort when they do that. Or they pick up a heavy deadlift or any deadlift, for instance, and the same thing happens. So those are big problems. When we have to like start adding in pads and diapers to do things that we enjoy, that's when I see like, okay, this problem has been evident for quite some time. And we've just accepted that that's just the way it is. So we've utilized other resources to help us along with that. Mm -hmm. So it can range from like pain after a bowel movement, pain after intercourse to full on pee pants, to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. So we like it is important. Here. It's good. Yes. Yes. And it is really important to note that like, when I say full on pee pants, like that is there was a reason that caused it. If you're just standing there and then your whole entire bladder lets loose, that's totally different. That's like cauda equina. That is a medical emergency. When we're talking like postpartum, in the postpartum world, we're talking about a reason, trampoline jumping, laughing, sneezing, coughing. Racing your child. And then, yeah. yes. And then the situation happens. So big difference between the two, just I, to clarify that. I thought of another way that people can have pelvic floor issues. Um, how about long-term constipation or diarrhea where people are kind of holding on and gripping their butt muscles and they've created, it's a habit that's created an yes. issue. What do you think about that? That's totally totally present and that's something that is also not talked about because because nobody wants, wants to talk, talk about, about the that? fact that they haven't that. pooped for two weeks mm -hmm. you know or they can't stop pooping mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about that stuff but the way that it affects your musculoskeletal system is a big deal so we do see in my clinic where i'm at that chronic constipation patients the connection between chronic constipation diastasis recti and incontinence. I haven't written a paper on it or anything, but boy, I feel like I could. Yeah. Because it's just so present. Yeah. And for the record, I love talking about poop. So we can talk about poop as yeah. much as we want here. <laughs> I do too. I love talking about this all day, every day. But it is a, I want people to feel comfortable around this because it's good to have this be more regulated. And man, yes. I think constipation postpartum is like something that happens depending on what we were on, like how that birth process went. Yes. You know, there's just so many factors. Yes. It's like trauma. So it, is trauma. it is trauma. It is trauma to the body. And we're not really treating people postpartum like, hey, by the way, you just had a traumatic experience. Go enjoy this bundle of joy and yes. don't ask for any help. No, uh, it right. just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And people aren't aware that pelvic floor therapy is like a thing that you should have a right to and that you need resources for. It's hard to find resources for, honestly. I it think. is. It very much is. After when you're looking for pelvic floor therapy, what you want to look for is like someone who is doing it. 
So just going to a gen- any type of general practitioner who doesn't know what you're talking about, that's not going to help you. And so definitely do figure out who is doing this in your community or close to you. And that way you can go to them for help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, I don't go to my medical practitioner when I sprain my ankle mm-hmm. because, you know, she's too busy for that stuff. She's dealing more with like internal medicine. So go to the people that specialize in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great advice. So you have a personal experience with this that really brought you into really researching it and kind of figuring out how to handle this, right? So tell yes. us a little bit about that. So my first child, he is eight. The delivery process with him was really traumatic and not just physically traumatic, like the damage that was done, but the like the emotional damage that was happening during it. So during the portion of labor in which I actually pushing my baby out of me was four hours and I was on oxygen. I went into maternal exhaustion and then I'd have to take off the oxygen mask to vomit because of all the medications. But at one point I asked like, where is he? And they responded to me and they said, we just need you to shut up. Oh gosh. Ouch. Yeah. And then another point in labor, a nurse had told me that I needed to suck it up. So anyway, long story short, he had shoulder dystocia. So his shoulders were stuck on my pubic joint. And so they were using the suction on his head and they were pulling on his head. So it looks like a plunger when they put that on top of the baby's head. So the rule is, and this is what I was told later when I like spoke with lawyers and things, but the rule is when that suction pops off three times, the baby's emergency C-section. So after the third time it popped off, it made this like huge noise and I didn't know what was happening. And I said, what is that? And then it popped off two more times and then Easton was delivered. So there was a lot of sketchy things that happened in that hospital in St. Louis and, you know, whatever. But what I found was afterwards, I had this tremendous pelvic floor pain and I could not do so many things. And I would be six months postpartum and my friends that had their kids are running races and doing all these things that I did before and I couldn't do it. I was in too Mm -hmm. much pain. And when I reached out to different practitioners, I kept being hit with the same thing and and knowing what i know now like it's just really inadequate it was really inadequate care so i started researching articles on pelvic floor pain and pelvic floor dysfunction and i kept coming across the same article that would be talking about breathing with pelvic floor and i like okay well i keep seeing this so i need to dive in more to it and i'm a natural type 3 <laughs> Enneagram and I'm a learn it all type of person. And so that is totally what I did to the E3s here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and it kind of grew from there. And so I was able to take this information and start utilizing it on myself. And then my pain was gone. And I remember specifically, I remember the day where I was like, I don't have this pelvic pain anymore. And I went for a jog and I didn't have pain. And then I just started like, you know, ugly crying, like the snot and everything, because I was so happy. Like I figured it out. Mm -hmm. So then my second child, she was born four years later and we had a C-section, planned C-section with her because I was not going to go through that again. Mm -hmm. So I immediately started doing the pelvic floor rehab. Like once I started feeling pretty good after that. And then I had my third child and he was a C-section as well. And two weeks 
postpartum from him. And I'm not recommending this for anyone else. This is what I did for me because I, I knew what I was doing. But two weeks postpartum, I started doing pelvic floor, really easy, simple rehab. And by six weeks, I felt awesome. So that's the, a huge statement when you just had major abdominal surgery, by the way. And how far oh, apart yeah. were the two and three? They're about two years apart. Yeah. And that's close. So, well, about two and a half. Two that's and a half close. years apart. Yeah. So fairly close. Mm-hmm. And my OBGYN, he told me it takes about two years for the tissues to physiologically go back to normal and normal in air quotes again, like whatever your normal was. Yeah. So two years for your tissues to do that. So anytime I see ladies that have kids that are less than two years apart, that's also like, okay, we have excessive stress on those areas. So we need to just proceed with caution with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was regardless of the type of delivery you have. It takes yeah, two Two years. Yep. Well, yeah, I have thousands (laughs) of thoughts about this. (laughs) I'll just keep to myself. Someone should say, have babies over two years apart. So it's not like having twins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, right. Um, in case you haven't planned out your babies yet, I'm just letting you know yeah, just they're give a lot like some time. They're a little bit like <laughs> twins when they're less than two years apart. Um, oh, they are. And I wanted to mention, I was thinking about this. I'd forgotten that you also lived in St. Louis. And I wanted people to realize that when you were there, you were going to post grad school, essentially, right? You're going to medical yeah. school, essentially, at that time. I was, yep. So I was you, in chiropractic school. Yeah. So you were already in athletic, like you were already in athletic training. And you, mm-hmm. and this is the kind of person like that's still lost right because there's just inadequate yeah. information and and really it's like it's in your scope right like it's in your scope it makes sense you're into like physical therapy muscles etc like this is your zone and your jam and you're still like mm-hmm. i'm so lost right now like and, i think that was this? the most the most frustrating part of all of this you know this wasn't like accounting where i didn't know what i was doing this was like the human body i knew about it i was studying it and nobody had answers for me. And so I I really wanted a mentor to like learn under and have them help me. But there wasn't information there. And if there was, I couldn't find it, Mm -hmm. honestly. So that was extremely frustrating to just not have information out there. It makes you feel very, very lost. And Mm -hmm. had I not have the background that I have, I honestly don't know what would have happened. Like I eventually probably would have adopted a mindset of well, it's always going to be this way. So right. you just might as well deal with it. Right. And that's and how most people... That's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can only... I just think about all the medical conditions that I see all the time. And that's like a very common... The person I talked to right before you, I mean, it was like years of irritable bowel stuff. Like, well, she just thought, well, this is just how it is. Like my whole family had yep. this, whatever. And very similar, like same mm-hmm. thing. And as you were talking about, it's really disheartening when you're sitting here learning about the body and you don't know what to do with that. I mean, I think so many people probably just resonated with that story right there. Um, going to school yeah. for different health, whatever, or whatever it is, you know, like we've mm-hmm. all had felt that way. And so I really think many people probably saw themselves in that piece right there. Okay. So yeah. to kind of like summarize a little bit, we haven't really even talked about the treatment a little bit. So let's give it a little bit more homage before we wrap, because you talked about breathing. And I think this is such an interesting thing. I also have felt similarly, like when I learned how to breathe appropriately, I was like shocked at all the yeah. downstream effects that it had on one, oh, yeah. my muscle health postpartum. So that was where I first noticed it. But later on in just like my unrealized stress for self. So let's talk about breathing and how we discredit it or we don't we don't consider it as as big of a deal, but like there's so much healing that comes from that. Oh, there's so much healing. And truthfully, like there are so many big name practitioners out there that are they're doing entire rehabs on breathing now. So my suggestion is like if your rehab is not talking about breathing, 
then you dive a little bit deeper, maybe find somebody that is Mm -hmm. because this is like the basis, the most fundamental thing you can do with movement is your breath. So one of the, an easy tool to figure out, like, are you a belly breather? Are you a chest breather? Is you take one hand on your chest, one hand on your abdomen, Mm -hmm. and you'll inhale through your nose and which hand moves more. So side note here, your chest hand should move a little bit. Your belly hand should move a whole lot more. And that hand, you should feel movement 360 degrees around you, like out into the oblique muscles on the sides, the front side, and then maybe feeling a little bit into the back. That one's harder to feel anyway. But that's the proper, efficient way to breathe because we're utilizing the diaphragm versus chest breathing predominantly. We'll just see a lot more upper back pain. Mm -hmm. We'll see more neck pain or headaches. And if you carry your stress in your upper quadrant of your body, you're probably a chest breather. Mm-hmm. So even like from the nervous system aspect of this, like when we are constantly in a heightened state and we create that adrenal stress, putting more stress into those muscles of the upper back is going to heighten everything else. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to teach someone that has no idea about breathing and then tell them you're actually breathing very inefficiently. They'll look at you like you have three heads. Mm-hmm. but it's just slow and steady. And so what you can do is you, once you figure out what kind of breather you are, then you move into just slow exercises. And eventually this is where intention and good habits come into play. Eventually you'll just start doing it because your nervous system will rewire itself. And that's just how you breathe. So breathing is probably, I wrote this in my book too, is the component of rehab that is missing mm-hmm. through and through. Yeah. is how we are breathing and how we are efficiently using that diaphragm to support our core. Yes. And it affects your pelvic floor. It affects stress pieces. It affects pain, mm-hmm. as you were talking about. Yes. It affects a little bit of everything. In episode 64, there's a breathing coach, Marco Tessi, who kind of walks people through an exercise on like what that should feel like. Essentially, it was yes, like... Yes, I listened to that one. Okay. So like, if you want a little more deep dive on that, that's a good place to start. But Kelsey, you just mentioned your book. So let's talk about your book. You just wrote a book about pelvic floor therapy about this. So tell us about it. Yes. So I wrote the book and it is available on Amazon now for purchase or through my website, but it is written to women because I was that woman who didn't have that information. So I wrote it to women. It's about 30 pages. It has pictures of these exercises. It's of me doing the exercises and it is a why we're doing this. Why is this important? And here are these exercises with a program created for them. So All they have to do is like show up, be intentional about it and get it done. They don't have to do the back, you know, the back work that I already did. So it's there for them and then they can move forward on there. So it's super exciting to finally have it out there. And when I was teaching pelvic floor classes, my very first class I taught here in Mitchell had 27 women and I had no idea that 27 women would show up with a sign that said pelvic floor class. That's all it said. And um, that was incredible. And in fact, in that class, I checked every single person for diastasis recti and two did not have it. Wow. And the rest of them were like regular gym goers. One of them was 78 years old and was exercising all the time. Like this is present. So in the book, there's a whole section on diastasis recti and how we can fix that ourselves. So the book is exciting. I'm just so thrilled that it's finally out there so women can get their hands on it. And one of the reasons that I, when I was talking to my husband, like, how can we reach more women? And he just said, 
you need to write a book. He's always and that, your and that like, was it. He's always he the, is uh, like, he's oh, always he's my the, cheerleader. Yeah. He's really always like the, uh, he's like the voice of intelligence there or something. I don't he know. The is, voice of and he's, he is the voice of reason. And he said it and I looked at him and I was like, you're so right. And then I just started typing. And then it just kind of pieces just fell into place. So just excited that it's out there. What What's the book the, called, Kelsey? <laughs> so it's called From the Floor Up, an at-home guide to pelvic floor health. And so you can search that on Amazon if you want, From the Floor Up, and then you'll see it's a red cover. It's $20. So it's super inexpensive for women. Yeah, it's a gift. Um, yeah. Another reason that I wrote it was I kept having women, they would message me, they would email me, and they would say, I really want to come to your class, but I'm scared. I don't want other people to know I have this issue or that they were like a prominent figure in the community and they didn't want this to be a sign of weakness for them. So even though many people would be like, oh, that's so silly to think that, that is a real issue. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when I have 15 women that email that to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, they need something they can do at home. Yeah. And then they because can reach there, out to me. Because there's a hundred more that didn't email you. Exactly. Minimum. Yeah. If someone that's doesn't know... Like having 27 people show up for a class that's like just sort of kind of mentioned is fantastic in the age of Amazon. Oh, yeah. Right. Like we don't like to leave, like no one wants to leave their house, guys. So that's like fantastic um, to see these <laughs> it, people in person. Yes. Yes. So then I taught like six more classes after that. And I went to Chamberlain to teach a class and I think there was 25 women there. Yeah. And, and this, at that point, and what she's like, referencing is like a town, a very a small town of a couple thousand, mm -hmm. you know, similar, yeah. you get the same class size. So yeah. Anyway, it's really good. It's a vote of, hey, we needed this resource. Thank you so much for creating it. Like, not the end, but like, right. Thank you for this. You know, like, thank yes, you for this absolutely. gift because to write a book and for it to be a low cost and something accessible that people can get in a few pages is a really big deal. So, we are 100%. They'll be in the show notes, please. Or you can go to Amazon and look for From the Floor Up by Dr. Kelsey Dobesh, D-O-B-E-S-H. What's your website? Is it Dobish Cairo? Dobish, yep. D-O-B-E-S-H-C-H-I-R-O.com. Yep. Yes. Okay. Great. Kelsey, thanks so much for coming on today. And for, I mean, really super enlightening about, I can't wait to call this episode Beyond the Kegels. Diastasis yeah, Reptile. Yeah, that's, that's a great title. Yeah. So <laughs> any um, gut reaction, pun intended, that you'd want to leave people with today, if they heard this episode and they thought, oh my gosh, this woman is speaking directly to me, like what piece of advice do you want to leave them with that they can start doing today? So the piece of advice would be to never settle. So regardless of what you're struggling with, Never settle thinking that that type of pain you're in, like, is normal and is the way it's going to be. Yeah. So reach out to people, find people that professionals that can help you that have already done the legwork. We are more than willing to help you. That's why we're in the field. We want to help people. So that is my biggest piece of advice is like, do what you need to do to get better and surround yourself with a powerful, wonderful tribe of people. Yeah, I love it. That's fabulous advice. You can always be a few inches better than yesterday. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's just like, there's so much opportunity. That's not really right in front of us. We have to go digging for it. So yep. thank you so much. You're welcome. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the 
the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 